Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 153. Step into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, we have attorney Jules Haas, who returns to talk about the basics of a real estate transaction. What you'll learn is about buying your first home, things to look at, things that can cause issues, things to avoid so that you have a smooth transaction. Jules was with me a while ago talking about why you need a will, and today we're talking about real estate and some very important topics. I hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. So you really just need your financial plan. It's got to fit in with your economics and what your social expectations are going forward. Um, and. Aside from your economic plan, you need to do a lot of due diligence and understand, you know, the property itself. So, for instance, clients will come to me and say, oh, I want to buy this house. You know, the first thing you do before you do anything is you get an engineer or an architect and go through that house and do a great inspection. So you understand what parts of that house may not be functioning or may need to be replaced. And, you know, when you're replacing a heating system or a roof, that's a lot of money, and it's got to come that's out. That's a lot of money. And, and, and also not every inspector is the same because I've had inspections where the inspectors missed some important things like mold, uh, which was huge. And so you have to be really careful who your inspectors are that you hire as well. Absolutely. So you get a certified or a qualified a licensed engineer or architect, and, of course, make sure that when the inspection is done, you, you go with them on the inspection and walk through the house. And don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, just don't say, okay, fine, this looks okay. Even if you're not sophisticated as far as a builder goes, you can still ask questions. And, you know, nowadays with the, you know, with the Internet, you know, you can learn a lot. Uh, so, you know, you go through the house, you do the best you can, of course, Life's not perfect, but, you know, most of the time you can, you know, get a pretty good idea as to what uh, the house is about, and, um, you know, you'll get that inspection done. And what you should try to do also is, again, get an idea of what the cost of keeping that house is, the taxes, et cetera. You know, you've got to figure taxes are always going to go up. The cost of heating that house, how is it heated, you know? Is it oil? Is it electric? Is it gas? Um, you know, what is it? Um, and, you know, what is that going to cost you? Uh, I can tell you that, you know, my house, I live here in, uh, in New York City in one of the boroughs. Um, you know, heating oil is like, you know, it's crazy. You know, it costs you a fortune every year to heat the house. So you can go to gas, but again, nothing is, is cheap. And so, how is the house insulated? If it's an older house, it's not going to be insulated that well. But to re-insulate the house, what would that cost, and what are the, uh, what's the feasibility of doing that? Um, and if it's an older house, 
you know, you may want to maintain the older quality of the house and not get the best insulation because you're keeping, you know, some of the, uh, you know, older qualities that, that you like about the property. You know, so all of those things, you know, the landscaping, the upkeep, you know, depending on what you want to do. And mm-hmm. another aspect of this, and this is just sort of preliminary stuff. I mean, you're not even getting to the contract stage yet. You know, chances are you, you have a real estate broker, and the real estate broker is showing you the property. Um, there are a lot of good real estate brokers, and it's really helpful when you have a great real estate broker who can really give you comparisons and lead you in the right way as far as what you're buying. But not every real estate broker, just like any professional, a lawyer, doctor, whatever it is, uh, is the same. So some may have more um, experience than others, and some may be more forthcoming with information than others. And, you know, you just bear in mind that the real estate broker, when they sell the property, they make your commission. So, of course, everyone's anxious to get the deal done, and real estate brokers will tend to want to um, incentivize you uh, to, you know, move forward. And what I always tell my clients is just take a deep breath and, you know, this is your, you know, your investment, you know, don't let, whether it's a, a broker or another seller uh, or the seller saying, oh, I have five other people waiting to buy this house. You better sign tomorrow. Um, you know, take a deep breath and, if, and think about what you're doing. Um, and at the beginning of the process, you should try to speak with a lawyer because uh, particularly when you're real, dealing with real estate brokers, they may say, oh, you have to sign this binder. If you don't sign the binder, you're going to lose the house or whatever. And particularly first home buyers, they're going to say, well, what does this mean? If I sign the binder, if I give you a thousand, you, they want it, you want $1,000 for the binder. What does all that mean? So, you know, you want to have a lawyer or someone advise you that, okay, you know, this binder isn't going to lock you into this deal. Uh, you don't necessarily have to sign the binder. Uh, what, you know, what's going to happen if I do sign the binder? So all of these preliminary things, and when you're buying a house, particularly for the first time and even the second and third time, it's really stressful because no house, you know, it's not a $25 purchase. You say, well, if I don't like it, no problem. You know, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of millions mm-hmm. of dollars. So it's That's really right. very stressful. And when you see, when you see the, the interest added on to the purchase price of the house over 30 years and the amount of the mortgage that you're actually committing to, it's quite eye-opening the first time you do that. Well, it is, and you know when, and as you probably know, when you sit down and sign, start signing all your mortgage papers on the truth and lending papers, they give you a calculation of what the cost of the house is going to be, you exactly. know, over over that period of time. That's what I'm talking about. Yep, exactly. And, and I always say to the clients, don't worry about that. <laughs> don't let that scare you. You know, this is your monthly payment. And the thing is, you know, as you've probably seen, when you look at, um, you know, the uh, what your what you think what the amortization schedule of your payments, which is basically mm-hmm. the schedule of what your payments are going to be and how much of the, that monthly payment. Let's say you're paying a thousand dollars to your mortgage company. You know, during the first part of that loan, 
you know, $5.50 is going towards equity. The rest is going towards interest because the equity part doesn't really start to get paid till later on That's in right. the mortgage. That's right. Uh, but there are certain standard provisions that really need to be uh, considered in, no matter what. Number one, if you're getting a mortgage, the mortgage contingency clause is extremely important because your contract's going to be contingent on you getting a mortgage commitment from a bank. Um, but your mortgage contingency protects your uh, deposit because if you don't get the mortgage, uh, you then have a right to cancel the contract and get back your deposit. So you exactly. want to make sure that the mortgage contingency, A, is there, and B, it's going to say I'm going to get a mortgage of $200,000 or whatever it is, and if I don't get it, it's also going to have a period of time in which you can get it. So typically it's going to be 40 days you know, to get your mortgage commitment. And if you don't get it within that period of time or you're rejected, then you have a right to cancel the contract. But if you don't cancel the contract, then you may be stuck to get to the closing without the mortgage, and if you can't close, you're going to lose your deposit. So you want to make sure that if you're getting a mortgage, you have a mortgage contingency clause in there. And it is, right, and, that, and it's pretty standard to have the mortgage contingency clause and the inspection clause on just about every contract, right? Well, that's true, but, you know, what I... What I do, and again, this works a little differently outside of New York, because what I've, from what I've seen is they have inspection provisions inside the contract, so you sign it subject to an inspection and then cancellation. I never, that's not how we typically do, the, do it here, right? I will have my clients do their inspection and do all of their, their the details about the house like I talked about earlier, before I even see a contract, all right? I'm, I want that engineer or architect or whatever to go in that house, do the inspection, termite inspection, whatever it's going to be, mold inspection, before I do a contract. Because if we don't like the house, we're not going to sign the contract, and I have to worry about anything else, you know? So, you know, sometimes it could be that you do three, four inspections, say, well, these properties are no good. I'm not going to buy them. I don't even get to the contract. So unlike other places, I do it, we do it here, and I typically do it here up front. And, you know, if the house is not, doesn't pass uh, inspection, there's no contract. You don't even start. Right. Okay. Yeah. But outside yeah, of New York, it's different. Yeah, it is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is different. And then what you're going to do in the contract is you're going to fit in um, within that context, okay, when are we going to close? You know, there'll be a closing date. And that closing date is going to be somewhere after or around the time that that mortgage contingency clause will expire. So let's say your mortgage contingency clause says 45 days. Your closing date's going to be, let's say, 45 days out or 60 days out or whatever. And in order to put those dates in, you have to know a lot of, other things, because number one, you've got to know that your bank is going to be able to get you a mortgage commitment within that period of time, so you need to speak to your lender beforehand, so you say, listen, if I sign a contract, are you going to be able to get this to me in 45 days? 
And then, you know, you, you have to sort of say, well, okay, fine, let's say I get my mortgage. Am I ready to close on the closing date that I put into my contract? Of course, once you sign a contract, you're going to go to a title company and have them do a complete search of title uh, to make sure that your ownership interest is insured and that there are no liens, no bankruptcies, no, uh, you know, uh, violations, anything that would affect the integrity of the uh, value of the property that you're buying. You want to make sure it's free and clear, um, and that's what a title company will do, and the title company will issue title insurance, which is based on, you know, the cost of the insurance is based on the value of the uh, property that you are uh, insuring. And just so you know, when you do this and you have a loan, you're buying two title policies. You're buying one for yourself, and you're also buying one for your bank, because the bank is going to want their interest uh, to be insured as well. So that's one of the costs that you're going to have to uh, understand going in as to what the cost of the title uh, insurance policies are going to be. So once you and then get that title policy just assures that there's clear title for the owner, the new owner, to take over from the old owner. That is correct. It's uh, basically a certification. So if, let's say you close, let's say the title company says, yes, you know, we're insuring your title to this property. And so let's say a year later somebody comes by or some deed pops up or something happens where somebody says, oh, you know, I really own this house or whatever. I mean, you know, these title issues appear in one form or another all the time. Um, I shouldn't say all the time, but quite often. You then have to, then you would then have a claim vis-a-vis uh, -vis the title company, and the title company would have to review it and, you know, try to uh, rectify whatever the issue is as far as title goes. Uh, it's not like a premium on a life insurance policy that you pay every year. You, it's a one-shot payment when you close, and that's that. And then you take the title policy and put it in your drawer, and you probably never look at it again, maybe or until you sell the house. So that's what, uh, you know, title insurance does. So those are all the considerations. So once you get past all of, all of that um, and you found the house and you've got your mortgage commitment and your title work, everything looks good, you, saw you head towards the big day, the closing day. And, again, this is another uh, day that, you know, creates a lot of anxiety because, um, you know, I'd say more on the uh, buyer's side than the seller's side because the buyer's the one who has to come up with all of the various dollars to pay uh, for various things. And among the things they, gotta, they have to do is they're getting a mortgage, but the mortgage lender is going to have all of these costs and expenses, and the title company is going to have all these costs and expenses, and the buyer has to come to the closing with certified bank funds. You know, you just can't come with your checkbook and write a check for, you know, 50000 or 100000 or whatever. No one's going to take that. So uh, certified funds, bank funds are needed at the closing. And you're going to have to be able to cut your checks for all the various amounts that you need at, for that closing. So the problem arises that the bank usually doesn't know what its figures are 
until the day or two right before the closing. So using as an example, um, let's say you're getting a $500,000 loan from the bank, and, then you, and your purchase price is, let's say, $600,000. And putting aside, you know, whatever escrow money you had to pay, all right, you've got to come to the, the bank's going to give you 500000 and you've got to come with the extra 100000 for uh, the balance of the purchase price. But the bank's not really going to give you $500,000. The bank's going to only give you 400 and some odd thousand because the bank is going to take all of the money that you have to pay the bank for all of their fees out of your loan. So they're going to take their attorney's fees, their points, you know, whatever their origination fees are, their processing fees, the bank, you know, the, the per diem interest, whatever it is. It's going to be thousands of dollars. So when you actually go to the closing, the bank is not going to have $500,000 for you. They're going to have, let's say, 495000 or 490000 But you're not going to know that number exactly until a day or two before the closing. And whatever that difference is, you're going to have to make that up out of your pocket. So in addition to the $100,000 that you're going to have to pay for the balance of the purchase price, you're going to have to pay an additional amount to make up for the shortfall of the money that the bank's going to extract from your loan proceeds to pay for its own fees. And in addition to that, you're going to have to pay for the title company bill, which can be, again, thousands of dollars for the title search and all the rest of uh, those things. And, you know, so you're going to basically have all of those items coming, being thrown to you a day or two or three right before the closing. So that's where your lawyer is going to come in and, you know, help you coordinate, you know, what the numbers are going to be. And on the seller side, you're going to have a lot of expenses to pay. You, aside from getting money, you're going to have to pay your real estate broker. You're going to have to pay uh, a mortgage payoff amount uh, and maybe satisfy some liens or judgments or who knows what's going to come up on, your on the title search. And everyone's going to have to get all those numbers together, get all the checks together, actually come to the closing table and, you know, exchange all the checks, exchange all the documents, sign all the deeds and all the mortgages, and everything's going to happen at that closing. So that, you know, in a, uh, a nutshell is like is a real estate closing. Jules, how can people reach you if they want to work with you or ask you questions? How can they get a hold of you? Sure. They can go to my website, which is Jules Haas Attorney. Dot com, and they can certainly, there's a lot of real estate information in there, too. Um, my phone number is uh, area code 212-355-2575. Uh, my email is jules, J-U-L-E-S dot Haas, H-A-A-S, at verizon.net. But you can always go to my website, and it has all that information there. And feel free to call me or email me or, you know, otherwise contact me. And if you have a question, I'd be happy to answer it. Thank you, Jules. You've been so helpful and gave us so many good ideas and tips. We really appreciate that. We hope to have you back.